Hello, welcome to T-Hanks and the Memories, I'm your host Darren, and today we're going to be talking about The Terminal, uh, which was released on the 18th of June 2004, the second film in 2004 from Tom Hanks, he did nothing in 2003, and then he went crazy and did uh, and did three films in 2004, I think the gap is explained in the next film, uh, where obviously he was spending a lot of time with dots on his face, uh, jumping around in a, a green screen studio. Um, it managed to make about three times its box office. Uh, it's uh, it's budget back at the box office, so you know did okay. Obviously, Tom is getting top billing on the poster. It's just Tom. It's nobody else. Nobody else in this film matters apart from Tom, according to the which. Poster. And Johnny made it. Yes, is weird because this one has a lot of other people. Yeah, no, it, I I mean it's a big cast. Uh, you've just heard him. That is one of my guests, Andrew Dorowski, and also with him is Kestra. Hello, Kestra and Andrew. Hi. Yeah, so it, this is a weird film for me because the first time I saw it, I saw it on TV um, with some friends I was living with. And I think we'd missed like the first half hour and it was it had commercials. So obviously we were sometimes just skipping between channels and occasionally we missed bits of the film. Um, and so th- I, I didn't I don't think I even saw the end of the film, to be honest with you. Um, and so that was my entire knowledge of this film was kind of roughly like the middle I don't know, hour and ten minutes, um, and interrupted with commercials and not not really fully paying attention to it, um, you know. Uh, and I remember him, like, pushing the trolleys along. That's about the only thing I remembered from the film, until I watched it again last night. <laughs> um, and then, you know, obviously I was like, oh, yes, I, you know. I, I kind of recognised the middle part of the film, but the beginning, you know, I, like, had no idea why he was stuck in this terminal, and... I didn't even know he if he got out um, of the terminal. I assumed he did because it's Tom Hanks, and as I've said on some other episodes, uh, Tom Hanks always gets what he wants in a film. Good, good things happen to Tom Hanks. Yeah, I mean, like he got stuck on an island and he managed to get rescued. So you know, like if you if you're Tom Hanks, good things happen. Apart from, of course, um, I would say Philadelphia and Saving Private Ryan. Those in those he dies. Other than that. Everything, everything always works out fine. So I assumed he did okay at the end of this film. Um, and I watched it last night and I was like, yeah, this is, I mean, obviously this is, you know, Steven Spielberg and Tom Hanks reuniting after uh, Catch Me If You Can. And uh, it's a good film. So, uh, you know, I don't want to give too much away in terms of judgments, but I enjoyed it. Um, I'm assuming because you signed up for guests as this, that obviously this film has more significance to you than uh, vaguely remembering it on TV from like 10 years ago. <laughs> yeah. yeah. For, for me... Um... It's something that I think, I mean, I probably saw it relatively close to the time it came out and had, had felt somewhat attached to it, um, but it's not something that I owned uh, until more recently. And then I think it's something that Kester and I watched when we were dating. And I think yeah. we watched it like twice in one weekend because, because I don't know, we had access to it. I think, I think like my roommate had gotten it on Redbox or something. And so we watched it multiple times because we really enjoyed it. Yeah. That was the first time I watched it is when we watched it together, which was just over five years ago, and I really liked it. Mm-hmm. And then at some point, you got me, I think it was a birthday present. You, no, it was, I told my brother to you, get it you, for you for Christmas, like, last year. You got someone to get it for me. <laughs> oh, there you go. So, obviously, you have more attachment to this film than me, who just watched it last night. Literally, mm-hmm. like, midnight last night was when I finished watching it, and I immediately went to sleep. Uh, a- I mean, we also watched it last night, yeah. but we'd seen it. I mean, I probably this is probably like my fifth or sixth time watching it. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. and obviously, uh, you know what we should say is there. There is, as with Philadelphia and Castaway, I'm trying to think. There's one more film where this happens. There is like a true story 
behind this, but it's not. It's definitely not the story that's depicted here. Um, and the true mm-hmm. story is uh, a guy called uh, Mahran Karimi Nazeri, I think is how he, I mean, he prefers to be called Sir Alfred. Um, and his, I mean, his story is kind of very sad and not anything like this. They, pay, they paid him quarter of a million for like his memoirs, which he wrote while he was stuck in an airport, uh, Charles de Gaulle in, in Paris for like 18 years. Um, the eighteen years—that's the worst airport. Well, uh, the eight, the eighteen years is after this as well. Like he was, he was only stuck there for like ten years when this film came out, and then he was still there for, a, you know, he, in the end he had a medical thing, and they kind of took him out of the airport. Um, his issue was not that his country no longer existed because obviously Iran s- still exists. Um, his problem was um, he'd kind of been persona non grata by Iran. So his passport was not valid when he landed in London, f- coming from Paris, and so obviously they they did what they normally do with people who don't have valid passports, which is they stick them on the next plane back to wherever they just came from. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there was a whole thing with a French judge where they were like, we can't let him into France, but at the same time we can't f- force him to go anywhere else. So he's kind of in this weird limbo. Um, and I mean, Philadelphia, the the true story was just basically somebody had HIV AIDS and was fired from being a lawyer. The rest of the story kind of is, is kind of completely fabricated. And the same with Castaway. Like there was a guy who got lost on an island for like a month and that inspired the screenwriter and Tom Hanks and, and the producer and everything to be like, what would it be interesting if that was like a, you know, a story. Um, and obviously in that story, it went on for years instead. So, you know, this is kind of another one where it's like, it's kind of based on a true story, but it, it's not really a true story. Um, it's it's like the premise is based on a true story, yeah. and the story is fiction from there. Yeah. And and I think I think what's interesting is, you know, as with the case with like Sir Alfred, um, you know, like he like basically he kind of refused to leave the airport. Again, that's a similar element that's in the film. Is like the ref- like they're allowed to stay in the airport, but they don't want to leave. Obviously, in this, there's a whole you know different thing of like why he's trying to get him out of the airport. Um, but you know, in in this, it's kind of it's kind of just like he's making a choice to stay in the airport because that's the best place for him. Um, uh, which you know, I, I I thought was kind of interesting, it, like in terms of you, you know, like the funny thing with um, with Sir Alfred is is basically he uh, like when he was given the option to go to like to leave the airport, he didn't want to do it because he would be identified as an Iranian national. And he wanted to be a British national. And so he refused to leave the airport, even when he was given the chance. Um, you know, so kind of there is a little bit of that in here as well. Like he's given the opportunity to leave, but he doesn't take it. But it's not for the same reasons. Um, and, you know, there, there is a little bit as well of the element with Sir Alfred where the people in the airport would give him food. And, you know, once he was there for like a decade, he like his notoriety was the thing that kind of kept him in there. Because you would have journalists come by and interview him for like, you know, a small sum of money. And that would then enable him to kind of buy more food to stay there. And so it, was, it became like a, a weird kind of, you know, self-fulfilling prophecy of like the longer he was in the airport, the more he could stay in the airport because people would come by and kind of um, see him. Um, right. It's easier and easier to maintain that existence yeah yeah which again that is something that's touched upon in this film obviously we'll get into it once we kind of talk about it um but yeah and something which i think i've mentioned in other podcasts is obviously 
uh, Tom Hanks is doing an accent. Uh, he obviously comes from uh, Kokosia, and um, it's mostly Bulgarian that he's speaking. Um, and there's little little kind of bits of Russian in there as well. And this mainly comes from the fact that his father-in-law is Bulgarian and basically sounds exactly like this. And that is the accent that Tom Hanks kind of chose. And apparently, all the way up until seeing the film, his father-in-law did not realise he was basically doing an impression of him until, like, after the film. <laughs> and then, they, like, you know, Rita Wilson was like, that's you. And, and he, you know, his father-in-law was like, like, Law was like, I don't sound anything like that. And Tom Hanks was like, yeah, you sound exactly like that. <laughs> like it's, you know, it's apparently it was an impression that he used to do for um, friends and family, you know, who kind of knew him. And uh, obviously now, you know, immortalized in this in this film. Uh, but I just I just find that kind of funny, um, you know, that he like he just kind of made this choice to uh, basically like rib his father-in-law for like an entire film. Um but I guess, you know, mm-hmm. when you're friends with Steven Spielberg, you've got this at your, you know, you've got this at your disposal. I guess when you think, what what accent am I going to do? I, I mean, I guess making fun of one of your um, in-laws is, is probably a fun thing to do. So, um, but yeah, uh, it did okay in terms of reviews. It's got 61% on Rotten Tomatoes. This is nowhere near the, 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 the soaring heights of the Golden 14. Like every, every one of those films was getting way over 70%, 80%, 90%. A couple got 100%. Um, you know, the, these the films that came out in two thousand four. He's, you know, we've kind of lost our way a little bit in terms of quality, um, and I would say this will be true for the rest of his career. Now, Tom Hanks is kind of a bit hit and miss in terms of, you know, exactly what he's doing. Um, but I, I think this is probably, I would say, better than a sixty one percent. I, I just think I don't know what was going on with the critics back then, but I just don't think they were. I don't know. It was it was very close to nine eleven. Things were very weird in kind of like two thousand three, four, five, like straight after that. Um, you know, it was it was an odd time. Um, I, I I think you're right. I think this is better better than a sixty one percent, but not not a truly great great film. You know, I don't like personally. I really like it, but I I totally understand it being in you know the seventies or eighties. Yeah, I agree. I mean, Cash Me If You Can got like. 96% on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> so um, I find it interesting as well as like there's two kind of plane related films for Tom Hanks and Steven Spielberg um, close together. Uh, kind of interesting that they went in that direction. Um, and uh, of course, of note, uh, this is meant to be JFK. It's meant to be the international terminal at JFK. This is not the international terminal at JFK. I've been to that terminal. Uh, it's a lot more claustrophobic. <laughs> Uh, it's not nice and open like this. Um, and, you know, before you get past security, there are no shops at the International Terminal of JFK. There's nothing to do. You literally have to just sit in a chair and wait until you can kind of check in. Um, so they obviously built this. They built this entire terminal. This entire thing was like, I don't know, 16,000 square feet or something. It's got working escalators. All of the shops um, are not um, product placement. They were just put there, obviously, you know, to make it look realistic, including the Hudson News. I'm sure anybody who's been to JFK remembers the Hudson News is in there. Um, and so, like, you know, the, for, the, the apparently was like an agreement where, where they would use brands, but there was no guarantee those brands would be in the final cut. So it's like you can give us, you know, your merchandise or whatever to put into the shops, you know, so make it look realistic. Um, but there's no guarantee that when we get to the final edit that anything will remain of, of what you've given us. You know, like, it might be just a quick shot or whatever. But, you know, obviously, like, Starbucks is featured quite prominently in, you know, Borders, Hugo Boss, 
Borders Borders is maybe the most prominently, which makes me sad because yeah. because Borders was a great bookstore and, and it's it been gone for so long. Yeah. But that one um that seems like the most central I mean, store. It, it is it's kind like the of hub. the central hub and and you see a lot of people on top of it a lot of time. Yeah. And and obviously they have like the food court and stuff, which has got a few different brands in there. Mm-hmm. Obviously yeah. you know, they'll prominently feature Burger King for a few scenes. Um but I well, well, I mean no McDonald's, that's the that's the funny thing. Like, you know, just just Burger King. Um but yeah, I mean the thing is as well, it looks this looks like a really nice airport to go to. Like this is a really nice terminal. Like a... there's like playgrounds and, and a lot of space for like kids to hang out. I was like, that doesn't look like most airports <laughs> I've been around. Yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, apparently the crew liked working in it because obviously, you know, between shots and whatever, you could all just sit down at the, the pretend food court and have some food or whatever. Like it was really, you know, and uh, like I said, you know, the working escalators and there's a, there's a lot, obviously, you know, there's a few shots where Tom is kind of standing next to some windows and it's obviously a green screen, uh, but they had a lot of lighting rigs outside. So, you know, there's, there's a point where a plane goes past him and, the, you know, there's, he's lit up and obviously the, the there's no plane there, you know, they... They didn't have the money to kind to kind of get like a seven four seven and drive it around outside their set, um, but you know I I think you know it's it's really weird because I mean I, I you know I mean I don't want to comment on like you know the current state of film or whatever but this film's like a this feels like a weird kind of like you know adult comedy that like you just don't really get these days. Um, and, mm-hmm. and, you know, especially like the, the way that it's shot. I mean, obviously, Janos Kaminsky is working with, you know, and Michael Kahn, John Williams. Like, it's everybody that Steven Spielberg uh, works with. Um, and it's it's kind of interesting that, like, it, I mean, it doesn't, you know, like, uh, Catch Me If You Can had, like, a very specific kind of, like, retro look. And obviously, this doesn't have that. This is, like, clearly meant to be, like, a modern day kind of comedy. Um, uh, obviously, you know, I mean, uh, probably maybe a dramedy because there's, there's, you know, quite a lot of drama in it. Um, but yeah, so it's it's kind of interesting, like the way, and obviously the use of like the security cameras. You know, obviously the one scene where he's kind of dancing with the camera is kind of funny. You know, <laughs> so there's there's like a lot of stuff in this. It's it's kind of weird. It's like I, you know, you don't really see this kind of stuff in films anymore. Um, and I certainly don't think anyone would go to the trouble of building an entire airport terminal these days. I think it would be a lot of green screen, or they would, you know, they'd like kind of film little bits and pieces where they could on like an actual you know terminal and then the rest of it would be like small sets and stuff um yeah i I don't think building this level would would happen very much anymore yeah Yeah. um i should say one of the producers on this obviously um i think i've talked about him before because he produced minority report which is walter f parks one of one of my favorites because he wrote uh both war games and sneakers um, and on the DVD for War Games, him and his producing partner, producing partner Laurie McDonald, both of whom who basically ran DreamWorks for the first kind of decade it existed, um, uh, they kind of they give like extreme insights in how to like write a film basically based on War Games, and they they point out different errors and stuff that like um, you know you can do for viewers that you know like as an example the voice of the computer follows follows the character for the rest of the film, but only in the first instance did they they actually say that the computer has like a voice module for the rest of it it's just the computer speak and the, and the audience just accepts it but it's obviously a gigantic like plot hole but you know stuff like that and you know he's a he's kind of a very interesting guy if you look at like kind of his career and the kind of stuff he produced he also did uh, AI with uh, Steven Spielberg and uh, he also produced Road to Perdition um uh, you know which obviously also stars Tom Hanks um 
So, yeah, he, you know, uh, the screenwriters on this, again, some kind of interesting names. You've got Andrew Nichol, who obviously uh, wrote uh, wrote and directed, I think, Gattaca. Uh, but before that, he also did um, uh, Truman Show. Or after that, I should think. I can't remember the order they came out. Um, so, yeah, and I mean, since then, he's done uh, In Time and Lord of War and The Host. It's a, it's a mixed bag, let's say, in terms of his career. But, uh, you know, I think Truman Show, Gattaca... I don't think you can get better than that as like a, a start to your career. Um, and also, uh, you know, Sasha Gervaisi, who directed a, a, a document called a documentary thing called uh, Anvil. I don't know if you've ever seen that. It's about like this uh, kind of Canadian metal band that's been going for like, I don't know, 20 years or something. <laughs> and they're not really that kind of, they didn't really kind of they're not really that famous. Uh, but he kind of spent a few years with them and kind of directed it. Um, and then after this, he directed, uh, Hitchcock with, um, was it Anthony Hopkins who played Hitchcock? Um, so, you know, an interesting career. Um, and also Jeff Nathanson, um, who got his start, uh, writing Speed 2 and Rush Hour 2. Um, and was also on Catch Me If You Can. He also did, like, the final kind of draft for that. And would later write, uh, Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. So, again... A uh, bit of a mixed bag. Um, but, you know, those are some kind of very prominent people to come in and, you know, kind of write your script. Um, as I said, you know, kind of based on a sort of true story. Um, except, of course, uh, in our case, Tom Hanks is playing a character from a country that doesn't exist. Um, and we shall jump in by saying, of course, uh, he is Victor Noworski. Um, a name that you'll have to get used to hearing a lot because he says it quite a bit in this film. <laughs> He's... They they say it a lot, like the full name is said quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah. Um and playing the antagonist, somebody who I don't think Tom Hanks has worked with since, uh Stanley Tucci. Of course, a wonderful actor. Um great in he, absolutely everything. He, he he's so so good in this. It really I don't know what it is about his performance in this. And I like Stanley Tucci in a lot of stuff. We but, love Stanley Tucci. But but this movie is like he just does something for it as being so likable, but also like, okay, he's definitely like, like pretty self-interested. He's definitely, um, self-centered. He, like there's a, like yeah. a vague racism, you know, or, or elitism at the very least, you know, exceptionalism, American exceptionalism to him. Um, and so, like, it's actually kind of, like, a really complex, pleasant character. But he is, like you said, he is likable. But he obviously has a little bit of villain to his character. 